everybody and welcome to another episode of Keck CNC's podcast, Global Thinking. Broadcast content in the Middle East is heavily regulated, regularly censored, and has been quite stagnant for a while. However, the arrival of the podcast boom to this region gave voices to a lot of content creators who are looking for new ways to express themselves. I'm Maram Al-Hindi, a senior associate at Kex CNC and the co-host of DX Babies podcast, and I'll be your host for this episode. Sout and Finial Media are two podcast production companies that have produced some of the most popular podcasts in the Middle East region. Their podcasts are listened to by thousands of Arabic and English speakers in the region, and we're lucky to be joined by Leila Hamadi, the CEO of Finial Media, and Ramzi George, the CEO of Sout. Leila and Ramzi, thank you so much for joining us today. Could you please give us a bit of a background on yourselves and why you ventured into the wondrous world of podcasting? Hi, Madam. Thank you so much for having us today. It's a real pleasure to be here. I'm Leila. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Finial Media. Um, as a network, I guess our mission in creating podcasts is to kind of help young Arabs reconnect with the Arab world. So we do that through um, mainly fictional content. So a big part of our focus is on fiction. And um, a lot of what we do is sort of adaptations of classic Arabic stories uh, into a more kind of contemporary format. Although we do also have some sort of more uh, contemporary uh, scripted shows as well. We also do non-scripted podcasts through uh, Finial Studios where we cover talk shows uh, aggregated from kind of independent podcasters from across the region. And these can really be about anything and everything. So it could be the arts, business, uh, health and beauty, really kind of anything. So I think for us, you know, the, 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 our raison d'etre, our reason for getting into podcasting in the first place is really to kind of fill that gap of um, sort of authentic uh, local Arabic language content for young people in the region. So, so uh, we started in uh, 2016 um, and in a lot of ways um, we felt that there was a lack or there wasn't very much of kind of audio Arabic content. Um, and so we felt that the focus on Arabic, the focus on narrative um, and really telling stories about the region to an Arabic audience uh, was really important. So in a lot of ways, you know, it's a similar kind of big picture type goal. We differ slightly from Finyan, where we focus mostly on um, narrative driven content around uh, social issues. We talk a lot about, you know, women's rights, equality, uh, social justice, things like that. So that's really important to us. But we also, you know, have a music show, for example, where we talk about society through the lens of music or a food show where we talk about, you know, society and culture through the lens of food, um, which is so important to all of us. And so these are different ways that we like to do it. And um, we work with a number of clients um, on kind of white label basis, um, but we also do, we have about, I think about 20, 22 shows that are our own shows and that's growing quickly as well. So for us, yeah, it's really important to be telling stories. And for for us, the audio works really well too, so that, you know, you tell really personal stories through and you literally hear people's voice. That's really uh, one of the reasons we love audio. So I think the reasoning behind the Middle East region is quite clear. 
on why you started the podcast here specifically, but why around that time? Because Salt started a bit before the podcast boom that we just witnessed, let's say, you know, two years ago. So what made you do it then at that time? I mean, for us at Salt, it was um, a moment in time that worked very well kind of in our own lives. And I think we saw, um, so if you go back a few more years before when we started and there was a big boom in the U.S. around podcasting and whatnot. Um, so in some ways it was helped push forward from that. Um, I think for us too, it seemed like a really good moment um, to start producing content. Like you said, there weren't too many. There were a few other studios kind of producing um, a few shows, but there was very little in Arabic at that time. And so that's kind of how we got in. And, and we've doubled down on that, the Arabic, the kind of the social issues, and, and again, the narrative, not doing interview shows um, necessarily. I think interview shows are great, and I listen to a lot of them. But we felt the lack and kind of the opportunity was more in the narrative driven content. I'll get back to the um, differences in numbers between Arabic and English um, content uh, later on. But I think a good question that we can segue to right now is going back to the more traditional um, media outlets and the Middle Eastern broadcast channels. Do you think that they're doing a good job at telling the Middle East story? And if not, what do you think is missing? And I think this is a question for both of you. So they're certainly telling a story. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I mean, as you say, look, the broadcasting industry has historically been quite top down, I guess, in the way it's been been managed. Um, and the result of that is that uh, some of the broadcasters have somehow not uh, quite like kept up with the times, basically. So I think it's almost a kind of generational thing, right? So if you look at the content that's coming out of most of the mainstream media on the TV side, what you find is it's either catering to a kind of older demographic or all the sort of soap operas or the content that's imported from Turkey, this kind of thing. Or the stuff that appeals to younger viewers uh, tends to be coming from the West, right? It's imported from the US um, and it's sort of Hollywood content. And I think where the big gap is um, on, on video and in audio is sort of content that caters to the younger generations and is available in Arabic. And I think the reason why YouTube is so popular in the video space is because that is a form where people can express themselves and create Arabic content that actually resonates with, with young people. So where we need to fill that gap in audio is through podcasts. So it's kind of a, a natural fit and a very clear sort of gap in the market, I think. I agree with Leila a lot on that. And I think, you know, one reason that audio has also grown in popularity recently because the bar to entry is a lot lower. Um, if you go back even 10, 15, 20 years ago to create something, um, video was a lot harder to create something. Audio was a lot harder. And then to publish that and to reach people was a lot harder. I mean, maybe cassette tapes or whatnot, you could physically pass them around, but nothing like the scale or the speed at which you can do that today. So I think also whether the mainstream and the government controlled media um, and the corporate kind of media, like the main um, categories of media were surprised a little bit was this ability for kind of anyone to produce content. And I think this is where 
the user generated content really took over and, and why YouTube became so popular because people could create their own content and they could do it easily and cheaply and people reached a big audience that way. So I think that's really important. And audio, even today, um, you know, professional audio, the bar to entry is, is a little bit lower than some of the other forms. Um, I don't like to say that it's a lot lower and a lot cheaper and whatnot, because it's not necessarily, um, but for a regular kind of person to start a podcast is pretty easy. You know, the tool that we're using today, there's free versions, there's trial versions, there's a lot of tools out there um, where anybody can kind of have their voice um, broadcast or published online quite easily. I definitely agree because um, funny thing, when I started the the X Babies podcast with my co-host, we recorded on our iPhones without using any microphones, and um, we recorded in a janitor's room in a, a communications firm that we were working in. And three episodes in, we were number one in the UAE, and we were very surprised that we didn't need fancy equipment to really reach that audience. So, I definitely second um, uh, your sentiment. So. Going back to the Arabic versus English content, how do the numbers differ? Because both of you have dabbled into both of those areas. So how are the numbers for Arabic podcasts versus English podcasts? Uh, so for, for us, then, I mean, it really depends which market you're targeting, right? So, um, I mean, English podcasts do very well in the UAE. Um, because uh, we have a very kind of diverse uh, population here, right? And so English is, is you know, um, is very, very widely spoken here in the UAE. So I think for a, a, a UAE-based audience, English language content makes a lot of sense. But of course, uh, you know, if you're targeting the, the wider Arab world or the wider MENA region, then, uh, I mean, it's a very different ball game. And I think uh, the, the difference in... Uh, take up of, of Arabic language content versus English is uh, is quite stark, to be honest. I mean, you know, we, we find Arabic content performs um, much, much better by a considerable amount than English language in, uh, you know, in the rest of the in the rest of the Arab world. So I don't think there's that much demand for English language content. I think historically people have listened to it because Arabic stuff wasn't available, so they're probably listening to BBC News or, um, you know, content coming out of other countries just because there wasn't any. But now that there is and the supply is 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 increasing quite dramatically, I think we're seeing the take up of, of Arabic um, increase a lot. You've you've seen the the number of um, Arabic podcasts go up a lot in the last like maybe year or eighteen months. I think it's really kind of that curve has really become much steeper. I think that shows too like what Leila was saying that the demand is very high for that. I think also people are recognizing that we can create our own content, we can create our own narratives, and that there's an opportunity not just for um, you know to reach a lot of people, but the commercial opportunity is growing. Um, as well. And I think that's important. That whole ecosystem has to develop and grow. There's lots of English content. So there isn't much of a gap there to, it's hard. It's also hard to compete. You know, if you're competing in the English sector, you're competing in a lot of, um, you know, with professional studios or really popular podcasts. Um, so that's harder. Um, on the Arabic side, I mean, I think I've noticed since we've started one of our first shows 
about gender and, and sexuality, you know, has done really well because it was one of the first shows to talk about that in Arabic um, and has kind of maintained that um, growth um, and that brand awareness in a lot of ways. And now starting a new show like that is a lot harder because there's a lot more competition already to, to, to kind of uh, battle um, your way to the top. So I think that plays a part of it. Um, I think for me, kind of personally, we, you know, we saw the opportunity in Arabic and a lot of people and a lot of other companies did too, but we don't really differentiate too much between the languages. Um, look at audience, you look at target markets and whatnot, and that is more of a differentiating factor than maybe the language. Um, but um, depending, I think, you know, things in Arabic can be translated to English and do really well. I think English content being localized or contextualized into Arabic, there's also an opportunity there. I think the only big kind of brand to do that is probably Wondery. Um, and they did business wars with Al Jazeera. Um, and I don't know how well that's done, but I know there was a lot of excitement around that. I think you brought up a very important point, which is about the commercial side of things. I feel like podcasts are becoming an actual business, whereas before they were not taken very seriously. And um, do you think that this will only grow or do you think that there might be some regulations that will limit this financial growth? I mean, I think at this point, um, we're still at the early stages. Um, the indications from the beginning of this year, at least, and from the end of last year is that the commercial opportunities are growing. Um, the awareness of what a podcast is, how can it be useful um, for brands and for advertising? is definitely growing. Um, I think we're still at the very beginning of that. Um, again, for us at SOT, we're interested in producing uh, narratives that are really important for society and for culture and kind of creating a, a way to look at ourselves and, and be critical but supportive and also express ourselves. Um, and I think it's really important that a financial aspect is built into that. Um, we're obviously exploring branded and working on branded content and whatnot. Um, we produce shows for other organizations on a white label um, basis, which is, you know, a part of the revenue stream. But and, and then there's advertising and, and more commercial content that's kind of coming online now. But I think for us, at least in the in the in the kind of longer term picture, we're probably moving much more towards like a subscription um, or a, a, a audience supported uh, model. Um, I think, you know, that would allow us to be a bit freer and a, a bit more open and allow us to do content that we think is really important without having that commercial pressure. Um, but it's a mix. I wouldn't, you know, is the more revenue sources, the better, right? And if you can balance them out and not rely too heavily on one, um, that's kind of the key to the game. So in both South and Finial Media's podcasts, for example, Millennial Mirrors or Abe, the podcast that you mentioned, um, they discuss topics of sexual education, addiction, other topics that, you know, we don't usually see in the Arabic mainstream media or broadcast channels. So what has pushed um, you guys or what gave you the confidence to start conversations around such sensitive topics? 
So for us, um, yeah, I mean, our show Millennial Mirrors does address some, some topics that are often not sort of talked about in either mainstream media or, you know, in, in, in other forums, I guess. Um, and it really addresses the kind of contradiction, I guess, between uh, the expectations uh, of young people under kind of the traditions of the of the region versus, you know, what actually motivates them day to day and, and the things that they're kind of really, really talking about uh, between them and the way they're living their lives. Um, and I guess, um, you know, what gave us the confidence to do it? Well, these are kind of the discussions that people people are actually happening having with each other day to day. These are real life discussions, you know? So uh, it didn't seem too much of a stretch for us to turn that into, uh, you know, podcast form. And and I just sort of think, well, if these are the, the real discussions that are happening between people, well, why is that not being represented in the media almost? You know, there's, there's no reason why it, it can't be discussed. And, you know, it's, I, I don't think for us there, even with millennial mirrors, I don't think there's anything hugely controversial about it, to be honest. I mean, we talk about topics that are often not talked about, but we do it in a very sort of sensitive way. Um, and we're very careful not to give opinions on things. We listen to different perspectives and, and we talk to a lot of different types of people, but we don't say we, we never, you know, we're very careful not to say what's right or what's wrong or how people should or shouldn't be living their lives. So uh, I, I don't think it's that, honestly, I don't think it's that extreme. <laughs> you know, I think they are, they are certainly things that are not discussed, but they're not things that should be off the table by any means. Yeah, I mean, I would, ag I would agree with that sentiment. I mean, I think the problem or the, the kind of um, space there isn't because you know, this, these shows are so groundbreaking or, or, you know, it's, these are issues that people face on a daily basis. Um, so it's kind of a shock that they're not being discussed um, in a lot of ways. And these are very normal kind of parts of life. I mean, fine, I have does tackle, you know, more controversial issues and it's provocative. I mean, by design, the entire name of the show, you know, is about being taboo and, and shameful and whatnot. But I think, one, one thing that, you know, if I could try to lay out a strategy of like big picture, kind of what we hope to achieve and, you know, is that there isn't one uh, definition of, you know, society or culture and it's constantly evolving. And I think that's really important. And I think sometimes it's really easy, including ourselves, to say this is how a certain person or nationality or religion or gender should be and that's it um, and we kind of just like lock that away and then start thinking about other things and I think that that is an evolutionary process that is constantly evolving and changing and so again for me like Arib or any of our shows are just tools to kind of examine that and look at it through different lenses and have honest conversations I think it's really important to have honest conversations I think another thing it's really important to have that in Arabic as well I feel like that a lot of the kind of cool content is in English and um, some of that, since it's not in Arabic, people know the words in English and whatnot. So just providing that space to do it in Arabic, I think is also, is like crucially important. There's many more, there's like Instagram accounts and there's all these other things that are popping up that people are talking about very specific, important issues. So I think, you know, we're a part of that movement to have more open conversations. So I want to go back to the top performing podcasts in our region, which I personally think that 
a lot of them are led by women. Do you think that's a coincidence or do you think that now you're able to tap into a need that was not serviced before? Like we're giving women a platform that they have not been given previously. What's your take on that? I think we're giving a platform to lots of people that, that, that hadn't been given a platform before, not just women, honestly. Um, and I think part of the reason for that is that podcasting is a very kind of like intimate medium. Uh, it, it often makes people feel like they're sort of in conversation with a friend <laughs> in their living room, you know, when you're listening into these kind of uh, these kind of shows. Um, and I think, you know, because you take away the when you take away the, the video element, somehow the barriers get broken down a little bit, I guess. And so people somehow feel freer to express themselves in the way that they might not want to do if they had, uh, you know, a, a video being uh, a camera being uh, recording them. And I think the, the other opportunity you have that without video is that uh, you can do things in an anonymous way. So, for example, we've just released uh, a show in partnership with Unilever, which looks at, and it's for International Women's Day, actually, and it looks at the stories of uh, six Saudi women who are in their kind of mid-20s, and they're looking back at their childhood and writing letters to their younger selves, like a seven-year-old version of their selves, telling them uh, sort of the lessons that they've learned along the way and what things they would have done differently and this kind of thing. And I think doing something like that uh, in video would be very, very difficult. But the fact that, you know, you're able to do these things in an anonymous way, but also in a very kind of genuine and authentic way means that, um, yeah, it opens the door for, for a lot more people. And I think we'll see a lot more of that to come. I think, again, decision makers and people in positions of authority need to be more diverse um, across the board. And so, you know, at Salt specifically, almost our entire editorial team is is women and they make the decisions about who is heard and who isn't heard. And so that's really important to have those decision makers be people who have been typically not heard as much. And so they get to make those decisions. And there's more and more space. And I think it's important for, you know, me as a man and me as a father and um, as a brother and et cetera, et cetera, to support those voices as much as I can. That's how I see my professional career in a lot of ways, creating those spaces for other people to have uh, a voice. And, you know, it comes from the name, that idea, you know, was the inspiration for the name of our company and, um, and a lot of the work that, you know, I've been a part of in, in some way or another. So I think that's really important. So I think this takes us to our vision for the future and what you guys anticipate or perhaps hope for in the podcasting world. So what do you think the podcasting space will look like, let's say, in the next two years? I mean, <laughs> if we look at where we're at in terms of, you know, just purely the, the audience numbers and, and the penetration that we have of podcast uh, listeners across the region, it's probably today what? five percent maybe and if you look at markets like the u.s where it's sort of 50 percent plus <laughs> i think uh we have a huge amount of uh potential for for growth in the space and like you said you know the boom has only really just started um you know we've seen a crazy amount of momentum in the last 12 months alone um, and I think uh, now that we're seeing um, not just more and more sort of localized podcasts 
but also a lot more uh, brands taking an interest in the space, a lot more forms of potential monetization, commercialization. I think we're gonna see a huge amount of growth in the sector over the next few years. And that will undoubtedly benefit uh, the listeners, right? So there'll be a lot more content, a lot more diverse content as well, because I think so far, the kind of range of, of, of shows out there is, is, is relatively limited when you compare it to, you know, the long, long, long tails of different types of shows that you get in sort of some more uh, advanced markets. And so, yeah, I think there'll be a huge amount of growth and we'll see a ton of more podcasts being produced and people enjoying them. Yeah, the numbers will really go up. I, yeah, I mean, if the indicators from last year and the beginning of this year are any kind of prediction of the future, the numbers will, the audience numbers will go up. Um, there'll be more choice for everybody. There will be more brands and more advertisers, hopefully, to help kind of the ecosystem grow. Um, but I also think we'll probably see more development kind of on the tech side as well. Um, right now, we don't really have any kind of tech players in the region that are too um, advanced in, in podcasting. So I think some of the other infrastructure level um, projects will also build out in the next, you know, 6, 12, 18 months. I also hope that it's not like social media in the sense where everybody kind of jumps on and, and dilutes the quality and dilutes um, kind of the ability um, for important voices to be heard. So I think that is a fear that I have. Um, but I think it's still pretty early on in the, in the trajectory. Um, it's still early. It's not kind of developed enough to be at that point yet. Leila and Ramsey, it's been a pleasure to speak to you both today and get your expert input on the evolving podcasting space in the Middle East. If you want to listen to more episodes of our podcast, Global Thinking by KexCNC, you can either visit our website, www.kexcnc.com, or find us on streaming platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts.